Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. three. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want your feedback. Of course, read us over on Indy Cornrows. Caitlin put out a really great piece this morning, uh, as she always does. Really psyched today to be joined by Keith Parrish of, you know, if you don't already know, Fast Break Breakfast, one of my favorite podcasts uh, that, that you can listen to on the NBA or just in general, um, and also the host of Grits and Grinds, which he runs through Blue Wire. Um, super psyched to really dive into this this matchup going on, on on Tuesday, and I'm glad I could get you on. Keith, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining. I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's kind of funny, especially looking at, at the Grizzlies. I want to I want to say last night was the first game the Grizz have played in like a week and a half, correct? Yeah, on Saturday night they'd been off since the MLK Day game, so that was what like eleven days where they yeah. were off. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long long time. So um, you know, kind of in dealing with that, you know, especially covering the Grizzlies, how is that kind of factored into? how you view the team right now? Cause they were playing really well. I think they were seven and three over the last 10, if you include last night. Um, so it's, it's obviously tough to gauge where they're at. I think there are six in, in the West right now, but you know, there's still a couple games back from everyone else. Um, but where are you at kind of on where, where their season is currently? I mean, overall, I feel like the Grizzlies have been incredibly fortunate. I mean, I don't know how the schedule is going to come back to bite them when they have to make these games up. I just noticed they added a game on February 17th. And that means the Grizzlies are going to have four games in five nights which the NBA hasn't seen, uh, you know, since the last strike shortened season. Um, but, you know, they had a five-game winning streak before this COVID shutdown. And on Grits and Grinds, I kept saying, like, we're not very good. Like, with, we're, the Grizzlies got lucky with some matchups. They played the Nets twice. I mean, this season without Durant or Irving or Harden. Um, then they finally played like some okay teams, but like they played the Sixers in the win streak and the Sixers didn't have Joel Embiid. And then on MLK Day, like they beat the Suns, and that was like the first team all year, uh, I think, except for the Hornets, where they played a team that was at full strength. Mm. But the Suns in that situation had they'd been off themselves with their own health and safety protocols, they'd been off for over a week. So the Grizzlies had won five games in a row, but it was like there's a lot of asterisks on all these things. And if the Grizzlies are actually any good. So I was telling people, uh, you know, cleaning the glass, I think had their point differential at like 16th. So that, might, that might be even high. And people are citing that the Grizzlies have a good defense. And they do have a pretty good defense. But they were like third or second in defensive rating. And it's like, no, they've played a lot of teams that have been incredibly shorthanded. And they keep playing teams that are at a rest disadvantage. Their win over the Spurs was the Spurs on the second night of a back-to-back. So there's a lot of little things you can pick apart the Grizzlies, you know, and, and their six game winning streak. But again, all that being said, extremely excited to be two games over 500 when John Morant's only played six games and Jaron Jackson Jr. Hasn't played a game yet this season. And Dylan Brooks has been the leading shot taker almost every game too. So that's a, it's, yeah. it's a roller coaster, man. Yeah. Uh, as you know, from, uh, for being in Memphis when Lance was there for that short time. I think that was the year when you guys had like almost 27 dudes on the roster. Yeah. At the right. End of the year. 
Um, yeah, Lance was uh, the Lance, Lance and Dylan Brooks have a lot in common. So it's kind of funny how that works out. Um, so you're saying I should cross slow-mo off of my defensive player of the year uh, ballot right now. Oh no. For what reason? No, I mean, slow is amazing. <laughs> no, dude, I remember. Um, Cause that's what was so crazy to me. Uh, when I do like a stats dive, like every two or three days, mm-hmm. I saw Kyle Anderson was averaging like 15, seven and five on like league average true shooting percentage. He was actually yeah. taking threes. I was like, what on earth is happening in Memphis? Uh, and yeah, it's been, it's been wild. I mean, it, it's kind of cool going back and watching though, just to ask on the rookies. Um, I love Xavier Tillman uh, partially because I went to Michigan state for some time. Um, and obviously Desmond Bain was like the guy for everybody in draft Twitter. Um, what have you thought so far of the young guys and how they've shown through? Well, I think they've been excellent. I, I think it's hard to pick apart what they've been doing early in the season. You could tell there was a learning curve I think in the first preseason game, like Tillman looked totally lost. And that was the first time I'd ever seen him play basketball because I don't follow college basketball at all. And like Bain, you know, he seemed like he's a little short. You could tell that he had like a short wingspan. It was like physically obvious, although maybe it's just an optical illusion with how gigantic his, his biceps are. He's got the are. biggest biceps in the league yeah. than Shimmy Ojale. Yeah. But like his handle seemed really weak and he threw some soft passes early in the year where like he didn't have enough zip on it. And you're like, okay, maybe this guy's just like a standstill shooter or whatever. But then as, as he keeps playing, he's kind of adjusted to the speed of the pace, uh, the speed of the game pretty quickly. Um, this is Desmond Bain and he still keeps hitting all his shots. And as I'm talking to you on Sunday, he leads the NBA in three point percentage, the entire NBA, you know, not just rookies, every player, he's shooting 52% on three pointers. So there's, there's nothing to not be excited about there. And especially for a team like the Grizzlies, where it seems like for the entire existence of the franchise in Memphis, it's like, man, if we just had a shooter, just one shooter, like if, if, the grit and grind Grizzlies just had like one extra guy who could knock down a three pointer. And so to get him at the end of the first round, to be able to trade, you know, future seconds basically for the 30th pick and for Bain to step in and already be a knockdown three point shooter. That's incredibly exciting. He looks like he's definitely going to be an NBA rotation player. And that's, you know, like you get that in the late first round that that's, that's gold. And that's how franchises become good and have sustained success when you hit those late draft picks. And then Xavier Tillman, your guy from Michigan state, he stepped in with Jonas Valanciunas being out a couple games and he's looked awesome. I mean, he has been an incredibly good defensive player. He, they've basically been switching everything and he has shown he can cover a little bit on the perimeter. He's, I think he's gotten what eight steals in the last three games that he started and he's blocking shots. He missed a couple like short, easable, easy, makeable bunnies against the Spurs. But that again, you're just like nitpicking. Now this guy taken into the second round. I'm not a draft Twitter guy. I, I don't follow the prospects. I'm watching him play. And I'm like, this guy's great. Like this guy, maybe it has Grizzlies Twitter thinking about, Hey, what can we trade for Jonas? Like what, what can we get for Jonas Valanciunas? Because we have Jaron Jackson jr. Coming back. And if Tillman can be a starting center or at least play 20 minutes, game, 20 minutes a game, at the center spot, like we're excited. So, I mean, I'm trying to slow my optimism or to not get too excited because again, this six game winning streak, you can poke a lot of holes in it. And the season has been weird, but there's no reason I think not to be excited about what the Grizzlies have right now in those rookies in Bain and Tillman. Yeah, most definitely. I think, I mean, watching Xavier play too, he has like one of the best floaters in the league as a big man. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, his offensive game is just so polished already. And he, I mean, he takes threes. He doesn't care if he misses them. So it's a, it's a start. I mean, he's hit like 20% of them, but um, it's something, you know, and I also think too, in watching last night, 
those are where are you at with the Grizzlies jerseys this year? Because I think the black alts that they wore last night are are by far other than the Vancouver originals. Those are like my favorite Grizz jerseys. Yeah, no, the Grizzlies city jerseys this season are by far the best Grizzlies jerseys they have in their rotation. My, I mean, my opinion on the Grizzlies jerseys is their basic regular jerseys are terrible. Like, yeah, I, I just I don't agree. like them. I don't like at, them all. at all. I think they're so boring. And I'm like, just retire them. Last year's Vancouver throwbacks. I mean, I'm a sucker for the Vancouver throwback. A lot of that, I think, is like my age. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 40. And so, like, looking back at those 90s, where even back in the day, I wasn't too into them. But now I have nothing but nostalgia for them. So I think the Vancouver teal are amazing. They're not wearing those at all this year. They're wearing the black Memphis 20-year anniversary jerseys as, like, their alternates. And even those throwbacks, I think, are pretty awesome. I'm a huge fan of those. So, like, the city jerseys, the Seoul city jerseys, inspired by Stax records. I think those are the best. The throwback 20 year jerseys, they're black. Those are also awesome. The rest of the Grizzlies jerseys, I think are awful and they're so boring. And I, I get really bummed that <laughs> when they're on the court. Yeah, definitely a work in progress on the Jersey department. Um, so, all right. One more question I have to ask before we talk a little bit about Pacers. Um, mm -hmm. Brandon Clark's jump shot. Uh, what was your reaction the first time you saw the reworked jump shot? And, um, this, this is a this is a safe space. This is a safe space. You can vent as, as much as you'd like. No, it, it just it was confusing. It was confusing because I was like, what in the world happened? And I didn't notice his form changed last season in the bubble. Mm -hmm. Like he had one form last season where he shot 40% on threes on very low volume, but he still, you know, he made 40% of them. And then in the bubble, his shot was slightly tweaked and, and he didn't shoot a very good percentage at all in the bubble. And then this season, it was noticeably way different. Where oh, you're yeah. like, what in the world are you doing? The first time I saw it, it was just like, I was stunned. I was like, what has happened? Why did they break this? And he said in preseason at like training camp on media availability, he was like, yeah, I'm kind of retooling my jump shot. The, the team's been working with me and it's a lot more comfortable now. And I feel like I have a lot more range and three pointers don't feel so like they're so far away we we're like okay cool 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 and then you saw him take it and you're like oh my yeah. god no like what is that and he's making them but it's just so weird it's I mean, jarring it's, it's legitimately he's making jarring. them at an okay rate but it's so jarring and even in the spurs game on saturday night he knocked down a couple and then he missed one by like eight feet he like yeah. he shot eight feet too far on a baseline three and it was once again it's just such a weird shot and i feel like it's carrying over to his floater game mm -hmm. last year, he set all these records, like the highest field goal percentage for a rookie. You know, if you're qualified for the uh, field goal percentage board and like he had a true shooting percentage over 70%. I mean, he was flirting with like, I can't remember what it finished being, but I think before the bubble, he was over 60% on field goals, over 40% on three pointers. And it was like, this is just madness from, from a, a big and this season, his touch has really deserted him. He's had a lot of trouble finishing around the basket. He's near the top of the league and missed dunks. And I don't know if it's all related somehow. A lot of Grizzlies fans and writers are talking about maybe it's somewhat health related because he, he got a slow start in training mm -hmm. camp. He was recovering from some injuries, but it has been concerning despite the fact that he's playing pretty well. He stepped into the starting role and done a really, really good job. He looks way more active on defense and more comfortable on defense. And almost he's playing bigger this year where he isn't shirking away from people attacking the basket. He's getting more steals and more blocks. So that part's encouraging, but despite him putting up a lot more points, just based on opportunity, his true shooting is way down this year. He's one of the worst as far as big men. I think it's like Darius Baisley, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Brandon Clark. I think 
a few days ago, those were the three lowest effective field goal percentage uh, bigs in the league. Mm-hmm. And so that part's troublesome. So, you know, that was a very long-winded answer to his jump shot makes me feel kind of sick when I see it and I hope it changes, but he's still, you know, he is still getting better in other areas and contributing. In terms of jump shots that make me sick. Uh, yeah. TJ McConnell has been shooting threes now. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware. Uh, one of my friends had a really good response to it. Uh, Cause somebody was just in half-hearted joke was because uh, I think TJ hit a three in the second game against the Hornets and LaMelo ball missed six. Um, so they were like, is TJ McConnell a better jump shooter? Um, and my friend put it as, because uh, I was like, this is just a disrespect. Ooh, this cannot happen. Like, no, yeah. TJ McConnell cannot shoot threes. And um, one of my friends was like, if, you know, the poll has 23 and a half hours left. If you, if he starts shooting now, he might get one off before the poll ends. And that's pretty much, that's <laughs> TJ McConnell's jumper in a nutshell. Uh, but I mean, he has been taking them and he's, he's talked about wanting to take more, um, which I'm not sure is uh, necessarily his game. But yeah, it's been interesting. Um, in terms of the Pacers, though, I know you guys normally have Caitlin on. Um, yeah. I, you, obviously, you haven't had her on yet this year. Uh, so what I haven't gotten to hear your thoughts on the Pacers too much. Uh, what are your thoughts on on where the Pacers are at so far and anything you caught from them? I've seen a little bit of the Pacers this year. I haven't watched them a ton. My take on the Pacers is always they're just like it doesn't matter who they roll out. They're always pretty good. They're always pretty solid. Miles um, Turner has turned heads, obviously, with some of yep. the – statistical things he's done my question with the pacers is always like i'm a person who's been a big fan of miles turner and it seemed like the franchise was ready to trade him or tried to trade him but it also seems weird that like his value around the league is maybe a lot lower than what i perceive it to be the stories of the celtics not being interested in miles turner and that seems strange and then we come out this season and miles turner you know he's been awesome and so like what is the feeling as far as in pacers land like are you guys pleasantly surprised with miles turner like why why does it seem like the value of miles turner is is lower at least than what am i missing why don't people like miles turner game i know he has i know he has no post game and i know his awareness on offense is very very low but for me someone who can be that rim protector and still come out and knock down jumpers and score a little bit like i I love it yeah no that's a a great question man it's uh it's really funny because this is year six of miles he's the longest tenured pacer and he's barely my age. I think he's 24 right now and he won't even be 25 at the end of the year. Um, so it's kind of, uh, it's an interesting conundrum. I think a lot of times, like the expectations on him were ridiculous. Like he was viewed as the guy who was going to lead the franchise when Paul George left. And that was just, I mean, he was 20 when that happened. He was really good. Um, you know, kind of out the gates. I think he was a lot better than people thought he was going to be coming out of Texas or at least was farther along. And so, I mean, there was, of course, Larry bird, uh, awesome player, not as good of an executive. Um, he, I, I, if I remember correctly, he, he came out and said that Miles Turner could be a, a franchise cornerstone player. And uh, he has a tendency of uh, when he was as an executive, he would uh, levy those kind of expectations on people. Like he also called Willie Cauley Stein, like a $120 million player. Um, <laughs> and we saw how that worked out. Um, so it's been interesting, you know, with his development, a lot of people thought he kind of stagnated. Obviously, he got even better as a defender. Um, it's harder to see that statistically. But this year, I think the biggest change for him has been offensively. Like you mentioned, with his offensive awareness has been just poor. Mm-hmm. Um, that really has changed this year. And part of it, I think, is the scheme a little bit. But a lot, too, was just him. Um, he looks just in rhythm. He's not record scratching on threes as much anymore. Uh, he just feels confident as a player. He's not uh, – trying to be anybody other than miles Turner. Like a lot of times, even in the bubble, I think he put up 20 and eight 
uh, in the bubble when, when Domas was out the whole time. Uh, but the whole time you, you see him trying to do things that, that Demonis Sabonis does, not that Miles Turner can do. And so it, it didn't result in a lot of positivity on offense. Um, and he's just actually idealized in his role now and it's, it's fit. So it's really interesting too, because all that stuff that came out with, uh, with Danny Ainge and uh, from the Celtics saying that he had no trade value uh, is kind of contrary to a lot of what I'd been led to believe before then, you know, there was some reporting um, from both Pacers reporters and uh, on the outside too, that Miles Turner had a lot of trade value around the league. So that was shocking to me. I, I remember seeing that. And especially now looking at this year, I mean, the Celtics as you know, Tristan Thompson's still a good player. Daniel Tice is fine. Um, but they would certainly be better off to have Miles Turner than, than not Miles Turner. Uh, yeah. I think that's unequivocal. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to say that the trade, uh, him being in trade demands or uh, in trade talks led to this because he's been in trade talks for like the last three years pretty much. Um, but it certainly is, it, it's it's hit a nerve with him. And he's uh, intent on winning defensive player of the year. He, come, he came out and said it. He's like, you know, I want to I want to do that. And obviously they play the Sixers tonight. Uh, and Joel Embiid has, you know, given him the business every time they played since they were rookies. Um, and he came out and was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to play my ass off tonight. We're going to see what happens. If I am who I think I am, then I'm going to play well tonight. And uh, so it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, it's uh, the discourse on him is is uh, kind of perplexing to me. Yeah, I mean, again, from the outside looking in, it seems like this is kind of what you you want your prototypical big to be. And his contract is totally reasonable. Like yeah. he's not like a severely overpaid player. You're like, yeah, that's what you pay for, and it's what you get. So I, I think he's going to be. I mean, not to jump the gun, but like if you're looking at like a, a matchup for the Grizzlies, I think he's going to be a huge problem for the Grizzlies because I feel like they struggle against teams that have good rim protectors because the Grizzlies attack in the inside nonstop. John Morant is one of the top paint scorers in the NBA. It's like him and all bigs. When you look at the NBA stats, as far as who scores the most in the paint um, and when he has to deal with a big shot blocker, I think that that makes it a lot tougher for the Grizzlies. They can tear apart a team like the Spurs who doesn't have a big guy in the middle most of the time, like if LaMarcus Aldridge is playing the five. But I think the Pacers particularly are, are going to pose a really tough matchup for the Grizzlies because of the rim protection. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Ja is still, I mean, he, he's uh, he's pulled, he's reined it in a little bit, but he's still one of the most just freak finishers in the NBA. Like the way that he attacks the glass is uh, nuts. So I think that'll be a really good matchup with him and Miles. I do anticipate Miles doing well with that, just considering, you know, yeah. the, the outside shooting is not great outside Desmond Bain. Um, is how close is Jonas Valanciunas to being back? Because I no know one, no one knows. He he traveled on the trip on this three game road trip the Grizzlies are on. And so that may you assume that yeah. that means he's at least going to play, you know, the last game of the trip will be against the Pacers. So it feels like he would probably play. Um, and also Jonas is a guy who a lot of times when he's faced with a really good rim protector, he doesn't remember he's facing a good rim protector. <laughs> yeah. He just like turns and shoots and like, you know, whatever the over under or mouse turner blocks, if it's like set at something really high, like four, I still might take the over on that. I mean, hell man, he's averaging like almost four and a half this year. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Cause I, I mean, I, I feel like it's a rough matchup. I mean, the joke among Grizzlies people was when he was held out on Saturday against the Spurs. Like I was kind of excited because I'm like, oh, that means oh, he's getting traded. See. Yeah. Well, no, not oh, that. It was no. just, it was okay. just we get we get more of Brandon Clark at the four mm. and, and Tillman at the five, and there isn't a huge drop off when Gorgie Jang plays. Like he's a really solid NBA player, and so 
part of Grizzlies fans were like, this actually, the front court rotation makes a little bit more sense when somebody's out. And if Jonas has to be out, that's fine. Um, Kyle Anderson playing at the three with a starting lineup fits a lot better with Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman than he does with Brandon Clark and Jonas Valanciunas because Jonas Valanciunas can't really switch and, and can't really stretch it out. Like you mentioned earlier, Xavier Tillman's mm-hmm. hitting 20% of his threes, but he looks right. Like his yeah. shots look right and he doesn't shoot them slowly. And so it seems like people are respecting that already. Like if he's standing in the corner, his man is guarding him in the corner. So he's, he's providing a little bit of spacing. So like Jonas is a really good player, but for the exact fit of what the Grizzlies roster is right now, when he sits down, some of the other pieces make a little bit more sense. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes sense. I think it'll be, uh, it actually might be better for Jonas to play though uh, in this matchup, just because that's the kind of guy who I, I don't, I'll have to pull up their, their numbers on stat head, but normally uh, Miles really struggles with uh, protecting big guys in the post, which I think oh, yeah. Domas would probably draw that um, draw that assignment. But if if he were to end up on Miles, that's that's not going to go super well. No, um, like Miles just it, he gets a lot of shit for it. But to be yeah. fair, I mean he just is not a strong guy in his lower body. He's you know he's more if if he was back in the nineties he would be a four, frankly. Um, but no, I'm interested to see too. I mean, looking at Dylan Brooks uh, there. <laughs> It's I, I think Malcolm Brogdon will get that assignment, but you also look too. Uh, he's been taking on, uh, you know, based on basketball indexes, uh, defensive versatility matchups. I mean, defensive matchup versatility. Uh, he's in the top five in terms of most difficult matchups in the NBA, which tracks, you know, he's mm-hmm. uh, routinely guarding the best perimeter player every night. Like I'm pretty sure he's going to guard Ben Simmons tonight. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure if he'd end up taking John Morant or Dylan Brooks. So one of them is going to have a, a less desirable perimeter defender on them in Jeremy Lamb. Uh, so that's where I, I'd kind of be looking for the Grizz to go off a little bit. And I, I kind of want to get your opinion, too, on Dylan Brooks. Obviously, I've heard you speak on him, but just for people who, who haven't heard you talk on him before. Obviously, he has his flaws as a player. Um, but I was talking to one of my friends today. You know, I think especially you saw with Jai out how important he is for the team in terms of he's not the greatest defender on the planet, but he is, he plays like he wants to be the greatest defender on the planet. Yeah. Um, And he's willing to take any shot, even though sometimes you don't want him to. Um, I think it's important to have guys like that on your team. You know, guys who are able to, well, they don't always rise to the occasion. There's something there, you know? Right. I, I mean, Dylan Brooks is somewhat of a controversial or divisive figure, you know, for Grizzlies fans. I think we've seen a lot of different versions of Dylan. He, he had some really hot streaks last year, and he's obviously a very streaky player, uh, very up and down, and he's been more down than up recently. I do feel like this season, it's very you know small sample size. I feel like this season he has tried really hard to change his game, where he had last season he had too much tunnel vision, especially mm-hmm. in the bubble. He was a bit out of control, and a lot of that, and a lot of it has carried over this season where it's because he's been promoted into a role that's too big for him Yeah. without Jaron Jackson jr. You know, there aren't many guys only jaw can basically create his shot on the entire team. It's jaw and Dylan are the two guys who can create their own shot. And so by default, he ends up being like the second option. And then when jaw was out, he becomes almost like a first option, which is just a nightmarish assignment. Like, no, he should not be asked to do this. He's not that good. He's more of like a Jeremy Lamb type player. Like ideally he would be, you know, like a fourth, fifth option among the starters. And he might never be as efficient as Jeremy Lamb is, but like he, that's more of like what his role should be this season. 
despite the fact that his shooting statistics are, are bad and they're poor, much like they were at the end of last season, I think this season he's really focused on the fact that that he's aware that he made some bad mental plays last season as far as mm-hmm. shooting too often and taking the wrong shots. And he's looking much more to create off the dribble and to look for other players and to you know make that extra pass and not to force his offense. And to my eye, he's playing much better. Statistically, it's not shown because his shooting yeah. stats are terrible. And yeah. so 46% at the rim is tough, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not a great finisher. I mean, that's just one of those things. He's not great in the clutch. Like, he has a lot of flaws. Ideally, he's the sixth man or seventh man. He's a bench scorer who's who's been unfortunately thrust into like a much bigger role. We think when Jaron Jackson Jr. comes back, then you're gonna see a better kind of idea of what he can be. But um, he's not normally a guy you want shooting a lot. Uh, you know, unless you're cheering against him and then you're like, green light, <laughs> like green light, Dylan, just, just do your thing. Yeah, pretty much, man. Uh, well, last question I got for you, man. Uh, yeah. what have you thought of Anthony Melton this year? Cause he's probably just about my favorite player on the Grizzlies roster. Um, he's, he, I, I don't know. He just does a lot of things still is not a great shooter or anything, but he's a fun player. Well, I mean, I loved Anthony Melton on grits and grinds. I've been going, I've been losing my mind a little bit that he hasn't played more because I think it's baffling that the coaching staff seems to think Grayson Allen is a better player or at least a better agree with that. I think he's a better fit for what the Grizzlies are doing because the Grizzlies, they need spacing. And when John Morant is going to be finishing at the rim, you know, so, okay, he's going to be in the paint. And if Jonas is in the paint, we need to surround jaw with shooting. And that makes sense. But to me, the things that, D'Anthony Melton brings as far as defense and rebounding and getting out into transition make up for that lack of spacing. And, and even then, like, I feel like his ball handling, it fits fine where he can create some of that space, even if he isn't a great shooter. But anyways, like I've been baffled that he hasn't played more because I think he's been excellent this season. He had probably his best game of the year against the Spurs on Saturday night where he had 20 points. He had two or three blocks. Um, He didn't turn the ball over. And like, he just looks like this guy to me who I think is, he's like the magic. I don't know what's the word, like a, like a skeleton key, or he's the thing that unlocks all the Grizzlies different lineups. You're like, Oh, this, these guys don't, these bigs don't rebound that well, or jaws in that great at defense, or, you know, Dylan has his flaws where he's a little bit small where it's like, Oh, okay. But if D'Anthony Melton plays next to Dylan Brooks, D'Anthony Melton, who rebounds like a big, despite the fact he's like six foot two, he, he, he makes up for that and he, he makes up for Jaws defense and he makes up for all these other things. So I feel like he's this perfect utility tool that, that makes all the lineups make sense. And I was joking when the, uh, the pregame injury report came out for the game against the Spurs, when it said Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas were out, I was like, Perfect. Uh, this, is, yeah. this is amazing. Cause it means every lineup is going to make a little bit more sense. Yeah, and D'Anthony was awesome last night, too. He was unbelievable. And the Grizzlies can, I mean, I was saying you can poke holes in their defensive rating this year, but the Grizzlies are actually very, very good at defense, and they can put together some incredible defensive lineups. When you have, you know, Melton and Bain and Kyle Anderson on the court with, and if it's Tillman at the five or Gorgie Jang at the five, those guys are all really good. Or if your second unit is Tyus Jones and D'Anthony Melton, um, like those are good defenders and they can keep putting on all these lineups of like guys who get deflections. The Grizzlies lead the NBA in steals because of it. And that's again, with D'Anthony Melton being underplayed, I feel like if they played D'Anthony Melton more like 26 minutes per game, perhaps like they would reap these benefits. And so like, I mean, I'm, 
I don't know. I'm really infatuated with Anthony Munson's game. And so it was awesome to see him play a lot. He played 30 minutes against the Spurs. That was the most I think he's played all season. Maybe most he's played as, as a Grizzly. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love to see more of that. And I, I really think if the Grizzlies are going to, you know, hang on to a playoff spot or make it into that play-in tournament, that it, it's they're going to need Anthony Melton to play a big role. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, and especially just with the matchup tomorrow, Pacers are chock full of combo guards and small wings. Perfect game for DeAnthony Melton to, to come show out. Um, Keith, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I'm really excited for this matchup uh, on, on Tuesday. Um, before I get you out of here, uh, where can people find you at? Or, or what? Uh, is there anything in the works that you want people to know about? No, just follow me on Twitter at Fast Break Break. If you're a Grizzlies fan, make sure you're subscribed to Grits and Grinds. Everybody else, uh, subscribe to Fast Break Breakfast. Listen to me over there. And, of course, uh, go give them give them some money on Patreon. They're awesome. Yeah. yeah I love their work. Yeah. I'll have that link in the description as well. Keith, thank you again to everyone listening, of course. Uh, go do all that. Uh, rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. And, of course, have a good day and go Pacers.